you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of The Dunker Spot. We are part of 342 Productions. I am your host, Nikias Duncan, and joining me as always is my co-host, Steve Jones Jr. Steve, how are you doing, sir? Ah, uh, feeling good, feeling congested, happy to be here, <laughs> excited to be here. Thank you, Dunkers, for once again embracing your bounce. Uh, Dunker Nation, let's ride. Nikias, it's uh, time to hoop it up. We will indeed do our best to hoop it up. I hope you feel better soon, good sir. We're recording... Very early on a Friday morning, earlier than anticipated. Uh, full disclosure, I am recording the pod and hopping on a flight. Got to see uh, Ace's ring night on Saturday. So excited about that one. But also that means an earlier pod, which means got to thaw the brain out and get everything going. They're not going to go too far behind the scenes there. But I am excited to talk some basketball on this one. We still have conference finals basketball going on because after going up 3-0 in the series, the Celtics, double-digit win in game four. Another double-digit win last night in Game 5. The defense looks back. Miami struggling to find their rhythm offensively. It's looking kind of tough right now. Um, I would just say, for me, over the past two games, it has been about Boston's defense. It has been about their ball pressure feeling better. It has been about their help defense being more peeled in. They have gotten back to their roots, it feels. Not that they weren't switching earlier in the series, but it does feel like the switches are perking up with more frequency and more effectiveness, like it's really highlighted with what Robert Williams has been able to do over the past two games where it felt like early in the series, if he's in a drop, Miami's getting what they want. And if he's in a switch, Miami's generally getting what they want. And over the last couple of games, Jimmy Butler hasn't really been able to solve that. A lot of the pick and rolls and a lot of the off-screen actions involving Robert Williams and whoever he's defending, they're turning into switches, and that's bringing Miami later in the clock. Miami just has not been able to find the flow offensively. And that's allowed Boston to get out and run. Transition frequency for them has perked up over the last two games. It just feels like Boston not only is playing better, and they're definitely shooting better, and we'll get into some of those numbers shortly, but it feels like they have found themselves. It feels like they look like the Celtics again. What's kind of popped for you over the last couple of games? Nothing's popped for me over the last couple of games, Nikai. So let's have a, let's have a chat. Okay. What makes you feel like they are, are back? I think it starts with, again, their defense. It feels like they have finally been able to fully flatten out Miami's offense. Where they were able to get pick and rolls going, able to flow an ISO, have plenty of space to do that, able to get some of the handoff stuff offensively. And now it feels like Miami's searching 
for where the pockets are. You ISO Jimmy Butler, he's seeing a little bit more help creeping in. You try to give Bam a touch, you see more help creeping in and peeling in. It doesn't feel as easy. It's been a little bit more difficult for them to find the rhythm. So Boston's defense has been working towards this, and this is the danger for the Miami Heat, and this series extending is Boston continues to find things. If you look at what they've done, there's more ball pressure. There's more help. To me, there's an emphasis on working to take Bam out of bio away. On his pick and roll, they are sitting on the pocket. Bigs are trying to recover back. They're showing multiple layers of help when Bam posts up. It feels like they're trying to hit that button. Jimmy Butler still feels comfortable to a degree. The issue is because of how Boston is defending and making Miami pay, it's not having the same impact. Like you've seen the last two games, Jimmy Butler looks to take over, but they're down by 12 already. So I think that Boston's activity defensively has been really good. I, but I also tie it back into this is who they are. Robert Williams being able to be effective again defensively changes the math for them. Uh, he loves the Zeller matchup. He's been more in tune with his drop. So it's not just all the way deep. Hey, you might come to the three-point line, might give a late switch. Him holding up on those switches is big. Al holding up on those switches is big. Now it really enhances the rest of their activity. So I'm, I, Miami's in the danger zone to a degree because of the type of shots they're generating right now. And to that point, it feels like one of the inflection points of the series has been the three-point shooting. And obviously you can see that in terms of the percentages and Boston knocking down 40.5% of their threes over the last two games. Miami has dropped to a little bit under 31%. That's going to be tough. What's really pop for me is, to your point, the shots that Miami is generating. Not only are they not making threes, they're not really generating a bunch of threes. Over the last two games, Boston is averaging 42 three-point attempts per game. Like Some of that is just who they are in terms of their personnel. A lot of that has been we're getting out in transition more. We're getting easier catch-and-shoot opportunities. Miami has taken 45 total over the last two games. That is a wide disparity that Miami cannot afford to lose to that degree, considering they are also a team that generally takes a large percentage of their shots from deep. They can't have that. And that speaks to, again, what Boston's being able to do defensively and how they're able to flatten things out with the drop being a little bit more aggressive, with more switching. And again, uh, even to that point, per second spectrum, Boston switched 33 pick and rolls for Miami um, on, in game five. That was the highest total of the series for them. Only 0.75 points per allowed on those trips featuring a switch. It's been really tough for Miami. And when you compound that with Miami's also just turned the ball over more. 32 turnovers over their last two games, 20 for Boston in that same span. Boston is getting, Boston is getting more cracks at it than Miami is. And considering where Miami's offense has been in the half court, they really can't afford to let Boston just get out and run to that degree. But it, it's all, it all feels like it's starting to compound a bit. No, I, I understand that. This is, this is how Boston wins. And if they had played this way before, maybe the series is flipped, maybe we feel differently. I think for Miami, it's a couple things. The defense office point is huge, but I don't want to lose the fact that Boston has worked to find more things offensively. And their pace and tempo has been good. The cutting has been good. They've kept Miami off balance and reacting. You've seen their bigs working to flip the angle of the screen, uh, especially in game five, where they were able to get downhill from there. Now you mix in matchup hunting. There's just more purpose. The ball is popping a lot more, and they're hitting the buttons they need to. 
they're able to generate the looks that Miami was generating early. And so we've kind of got this fun, just what is going to happen? Because we know how Miami can win. And they only have to do it one more time. But Boston probably has them exactly where they want them to a degree. Except there is no room for slipping. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like even as you speak to the positivity of Boston, they have played tremendous basketball their last two. It's like, well, friends, if you weren't already in a 3-0 hole, we would probably feel a little, a little bit better about this. Because now, like, if we are to say Boston has played like A or A-minus basketball over the last two games, you slip to B-plus in game six, that may be enough for Miami to close the series if they're able to find things offensively. If three-point shooting is able to bounce back at all, if Jimmy Butler just comes out aggressively in game six and has himself a 12-point first quarter and sets the tone from there, if we get another Caleb Martin game, if Max Struess pops, if Gabe Vincent comes back, Gabe Vincent was out in game five with the ankle injury that he suffered in game four, so we'll see what that looks like. Boston still doesn't have much room for error um, as we move forward, but it's been really pre- impressive what they've been able to do on both ends of the floor. Um, to your offense point about Boston finding some things, like, I have really enjoyed the Jason Tatum experience over the last two games. Like, it feels like, in addition to how Boston's kind of moving things around, how they're playing with some of Miami's coverages, it just feels like Jason Tatum is also making quicker decisions. Like, the drives have been a consistent portion of his game in this postseason, really. And we've talked about in basically every series. But it feels like now, with Boston being a little bit more intentional about how they're spacing the floor and how they're trying to counter Miami's help or their aggression, depending on who's in the game, it feels like it's made the Jason Tatum drives hit a little bit harder. And last night, like you could look at the assist total and make the case, but just in terms of the reads that he was making and the time it was taking for him to make the reads, it also felt like his best passing game of the series to me. Uh, am I off on that? Or how did you feel about the playmaking aspect from Tatum in game five? No, I mean, this, this was part of Boston's turnaround last year when Jason Tatum was able to get in the paint or was able to draw extra attention to open a lot of things up. I think he's done a very good job of staying aggressive in this series, especially with the drives. It feels like it's been all playoffs long. Uh, I think the fact that he's getting two on the ball adjacent looks and drop and has matchups to hunt, he's starting to get comfortable and he's starting to cycle through these options and what he can do, what it can open up for their team. But he's also getting downhill, you know? The, the play where he literally is just stringing Cody Zeller out in game five. I was like, oh, you, you know what's happening right now. You know your responsibility to uh, use what you're doing offensively to open things up for the rest of the team. Yeah, it, it just feels like he's hitting the point, like to your point. Yeah, I know what's coming. I know what I can get to. If you show me this, I can do this. If you don't show me this, I can get to this. Now, I have to make the shots or miss the shots. And if I'm making the passes, they have to be accurate or they're not. But in terms of the processing for Jason Tatum. It feels like it's in a really good place right now. And it's really popped over the last two games. And this has been kind of the maturation that we've seen from Jason Tatum over the last two or three postseasons, really to where he's gotten better. He's gotten more comfortable. Teams are working harder to take him away and highlight his weak points and show help and make sure that he can't gain a rhythm. And he's had to counter that like last year's postseason run for him. It was a fun one for me to track. And even in the finals where it wasn't always great, it's like, okay, it's, it's cool to watch like a young superstar problem solve on the fly. Sometimes he gets it, sometimes he doesn't, but he sta- he's internalizing all of that. And I think we're having like a similar process in the Eastern Conference Finals where he hasn't had a bad series. It probably it wasn't up to his standard in the first two, three games, but it feels like he's starting to arrive. So he's, he's hitting the, hey, I don't think y'all can really guard me portion of the program. 
and I can pick out these matchups who I want. And also, just while I'm on Tatum, Tatum's defense, I feel like it's just kind of been undersold this entire postseason run because it's been easy to just highlight when the shots are being made and denigrate him when they aren't uh, throughout the run. The defense has been impactful pretty much all playoffs long. And I do think at least part of the Jimmy, Bors- Jimmy Butler portion of Miami's, I guess, strolls over the last two games. And like Butler hasn't been bad. He just hasn't been himself. At least part of that has been Jason Tatum taking on that matchup a little bit more. Like Jimmy. Ah, embracing the challenge. (laughs) (laughs) One might say that he is embracing the challenge. But no, you think about Jimmy Butler. We talked about this, you know, on the last pod when Miami got to the 3-0 lead. It was a similar cycling effect for Jimmy Butler. Like, okay, cool. Derek White, I'm stronger than him. Jalen Brown, he's a little jumpy. I can get to my spots against him. Marcus Smart, you're great. I'm bigger than him. Grant Williams, I just don't like you. I would just get the plus 10 for <laughs> out of spite against him. Jason Tatum, like Jimmy Butler can't necessarily outpower, outpower him in the way that he wants to win. And Tatum's a little bit bigger than him and has the length. And he, also, he can also slide his feet. Now, J- Jimmy Butler can still score on him. But in terms of the level of ease and the level of comfort, that feels like the one matchup that he has to just flat out solve. And it's not just will Jimmy make the shot or miss the shot. It feels like he's trying to find, okay, what is my angle? What is my edge against them? Like some of the up fakes that he may get Jalen Brown with after pivoting a few times. Jason Tatum is just sitting on those and he has his arms raised. And it's like, oh, well, he is like 6'10 with a plus wingspan. What do I do with this? So I do want to apply what Jason Tatum has been able to do over the last uh, couple of games. Feels like he's really finding his rhythm on offense and the defense has popped. And now he, he's just been really good, man. Um, for Miami, I don't want to be like super basic and say what's the concern level, but I guess in terms of Boston picking at some of the smaller matchups, you mentioned Cody Zeller. Kevin Love got a stint in the first half, and then we got like an early fourth quarter stint when the game was pretty much teetering at that point. Gave Vincent again, missed game four. We'll see what his status is for game five. In terms of just the rotation players you can trust if you're Miami, do you feel like they're hitting a bit of an inflection point, or is just just these guys just have to play better? I mean, it's probably just the do better button, but this for me ties back into what Boston's been trying to do for the majority of the series. They've been trying to get to Kevin Love. They finally start to get to him when he's at the with the flat show. He's got the hard show. Now he's working to contain. Now they flip the angle of the stream. So they're trying to poke at him. They've been trying to go at Cody Zeller the entire time. <laughs> I don't have the numbers in front of me, but that's got to be those minutes have to be a plus for someone yep. on Boston. <laughs> And so it's, it's now going to be on everyone else to stay aggressive. And this is where Miami starting their action sooner is going to help. This is where their tempo improving is going to help. It can't be Kyle Lowry has dropped passes up shot. Yeah. It, it can't be Max Struess thinking about what it's going to be. Is it a late switch? Do I have my pull up? Uh, Martin has not stopped, but the Heat, the heat have to stay aggressive. They have to stay aggressive with their mindset um, so that they can also generate offense. Their blend was Jimmy has it going, Bam has it going, and we're still doing Miami things. We still got movement. We've got you off balance. If the movement's struggling, now you're in the mud. Jimmy and Bam don't necessarily have it going to that degree. Puts you in a tough spot. So I think just making quick decisions mm-hmm. and staying confident is going to be huge. You know what Boston's going to do. Uh, you know how you can win. You just got to go out there and do it. And, uh, can, I, can I ask an unfair Steve question? Yeah, go ahead. 
Uh, so what's uh, what's more important, Miami's offense, Miami's defense, or Jimmy Butler saying, "I want you guys to go home." Um, if I had to rank, <clears throat> if I had to rank them, I would probably say, I think it would be Miami's offense as a whole, and then yeah, if we're doing the rank of Miami's offense, Jimmy Butler saying, "I want y'all to go home," Miami's defense. Because Boston's been able to pick out some stuff defensively, but I do feel like a lot of this is Boston's just getting to attack earlier in the clock based off the mm-hmm. misses, based off the turnovers. And even if it isn't a pure transition opportunity, if Miami runs back and gets matched up and it's, it's just a cross match from Rip from just trying to find a body. Now, if you just flow into your early offense stuff, Boston can, just has an easier time. OK, I know where I want to go. We're pinpointing this guy or I know I have this guy in this coverage and the help isn't locked in the way it needs to be because y'all are trying to get matched up. Now we can just flow into stuff. And so I think if Miami's able to score more, I think their half-court defense perks up. Like, just in terms of the numbers on cleaning the glass, like Boston, well over 1.15 points per possession in the half-court, which is easily their best mark of the series so far. Like, I don't... Boston's offense is really good. I don't think it's that against this Miami defense. If Miami gets to just set up more and just get their matchups more. Um, so if they score more, they'll just be able to get more set. And I think that's where it starts from there. It would be helpful if Jimmy Butler like really comes out in the first six minutes of game six and says, okay, absolutely not. We're at home. We are not losing two home games to y'all. While it would be cool to close the series out in Boston, one, it should have been closed out already if we played better and handled the business. Two, we are not trying to play in Boston in a game seven with y'all getting that kind of momentum after being down 0-3. Like that, it turned into, you know, you go down 0-3, y'all better not let us get one. And it's been two double-digit wins from there where we can't get anything going. Miami's offense, I think, 88 offensive rating in the half-court in Game 4, a 92 offensive rating in the half-court in Game 5. Nah, that that has to be better. I think I pinpoint the offense before I pinpoint the defense. No, that's fair. That's fair. I think we're aligned. I just wanted to see how you'd handle that question. Uh, I think Miami has to get off to a good start. And in both of these games, things have just kind of slipped for Miami. And that one pocket of the game ends up costing them. And you think about it, there were still times, there were sequences in that game five where Miami had an opportunity, got what they wanted, miss, Boston scores. Okay. Miami, turnover, Boston scores. And then it's like, oh, well, yeah. So yeah. you could have went from eight to four, now it's eight to like 13. It's like, well... <laughs> You got to help us help you. Like, I think we were talking about it throughout the watch party. There was a sequence like Bam got a look. He misses at the rim. It's an offensive rebound. Get to Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler gets a shot. He misses. And I think it was what a Jalen Brown transition bucket after that. And it's like, well, that's a tad bit unfortunate. You can't have that. You can't have that. To the Miami defense point, I'll just ask a quick question. Like, how have you felt about their zone? Uh, you can go series wide or just over the last two games. Like, how, how do you feel about where they're at with that zone? Uh, I would say Boston's done a very good job of making quicker decisions against that zone. I've liked that. The screening actions, uh, trying to work to distort Miami's matchups. The big key is, hey, if we can get a moment where there's two on the ball and there's not supposed to be, we can play out of it. But you see the quick passes after the first screen, the way they're trying to flash in open areas. That's been a big key. Like Miami could probably absorb some of this offensive stuff mm-hmm. if the zone was in their back pocket. But when it comes out, there are stretches where Boston might 
slow down a bit, but it's not having that same effect. Mm. I got you. Like, I think to your distorting matchups point, like there was an early possession when Miami went to the zone in game five where Jason Tatum, uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown was in the right corner. And that just happened to be, you know, the edge of the zone where Duncan Robinson was. And like Boston didn't waste time. They just swung it over there to turn into an ISO like post up situation. I was like, huh, okay, there's a level of comfort. And we saw it um, <clears throat> in game four a little bit where Miami tossed out the zone late. And it's Jason Taylor. Like, oh, actually, how about I just flash to the middle here and let's see what you do with that. It's like they're starting to find some stuff. <clears throat> and so just quickly uh, looking this up, um, 32 zone possessions for Miami in game two, uh, four in game three. Oh, excuse me. 32 in game two, 30 in game, I mean, four in game four, and then 22 in game five in terms of zone possessions for Miami. 1.4 points per possession allowed in zone in the game five for Miami, which if they can't even use that as a counter, it really becomes problematic. It really becomes important for their base defense to lock in. So we will, we will keep an eye on that heading into the game six. <laughs> Wait a minute. This sounds like a man who said Boston in seven. Uh, well, I, look, I did, <laughs> I did pick Boston in seven before the series. If you told me before the series is going to end up like this, like, no, that, that very well would have been like a, a Miami in five, Miami in six situation. Like, it, if it happens like this, it's going to say a ton about Boston, and obviously we will take the pro-Boston-did-it angle first and foremost because they will deserve that. But it will be fair to at least tilt the head at Miami like, hey, you win three I, straight and then, like, hey. It's hard. It is. It's hard. It is hard, especially when Boston's doing what's been working to have them not do. You got to remember that part about the playoffs, right? Your whole job, whole philosophy is, hey, can we bring this team into the mud? Can we get them to not be themselves enough and beat them? And that's cool. You have to do it four times, though. And there's always a little feeling like, mm, they're starting to find stuff. They're starting to figure it out. If Boston's at full strength, it was going to be tough for Miami. Mm-hmm. And now they're having to answer some of these questions. We know how they can win. Can they get back to it? Because if you're telling me this is going to be the Boston defense and Miami's not going to get their movement back, they can't generate shots, I have the same thought I had in the, you know, in the lead up to the series. Well, it's going to be a tough day. If they can get back to, hey, Boston, this is going to be really tough for you to score. Stop moving the ball. And also you can't guard us. Yeah. But it's that one, it's that one lane for Miami where they can win this. I mean that with no disrespect. They can win multiple types of games. But against this team, it's clear what has to happen. Mm-hmm. They got to put the pressure back on Boston. They got to figure it out. And, like, just, you know, quickly bouncing off. Like, if you just told me before the series, hey, Nakai, Miami's going to be up 3-2, would I have been su- surprised? Like, no. Again, I picked Boston at 7. If you told me, is Miami's going to be up 3-0, and then it's going to turn into 3-2, I'm just like, hey. You might want to <laughs> handle business in game 6. This is a... Uh, you might want to handle business in game 6. I, I will just leave it there. Um, that game 6 will be on Saturday. We will be... Going to be locked in on that one, but or I will be locked in as much as I can on Saturday. I'm definitely going to watch the game at my earliest convenience, but we will see. Hey, this man keeps sprinkling in the hashtag is big time. The hashtag is not big time. The hashtag is credentialed because I, I, I will see oh, the b- big credential. My bad. Creden- All right. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Please continue with the rest of the program. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. 
That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app and answer a few questions. With Angie, you can book instantly at an upfront price or request and compare quotes from multiple pros so you can find the best price for your project. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I You know what, actually, before, because we do have mailbag questions that we want to get to. Before flowing into the mailbag, I would just toss this up to you open-ended. We, we have had a handful of W games since Tuesday. Any, any thoughts from the W games uh, over the past couple of days? Any, any player, any team that's kind of popped for you, you asking questions about before we flow into the mailbag? Sun and Mystics need to stay away from each other. Ah. More, more so for the Mystics' sake. Uh, I think I was wrong on the Sparks. Hmm. I, I think they have silently climbed up into that top six area for me. Mm-hmm. I think the Sky are up there, too. It's, the Aces are unfair. When you could just literally, hey, Jackie Young, you just go be real aggressive. <laughs> oh, man. Look, you should not have Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young, and it's not fair. But no, I don't like it. Uh-uh, I see. I mean, I, I do like it, but also. No, I, I understand where you're coming from. I understand where you're coming from. Um, <clears throat> I would just say I'm with you on the Sparks. And them having the level of versatility that they have in their front court is really fun. And again, if you're going to give any coach a versatile front court to work with and say, hey, the roster may be a little bit un- unbalanced or imbalanced. We got a bunch of talented bigs. Make it work. Kurt Miller seems like the coach to do that. A really impressive outing from the Sparks um, last night in their game against the Aces. No Neko Gumakeshi was sick and they were still able to hang, I think, 85 points <clears throat> on the Aces. And they had a really good first half. I just like the way that they're playing process wise, like the usage of Lexi Brown has been fun. We know she can shoot, but now we're just seeing her fly off of screens all over the place. He's ghosting some stuff. She's coming off some staggers. They're running floppy for they're, they're just doing a lot with her as a movement piece. And that's been a lot. That's been a lot of fun. I did find myself as we got to like the fourth quarter of that game and the aces hadn't made their run in the third quarter to get back in it, and they kind of took it over from there in the fourth. I did reach the point with the Spartans where we're like, ah, this is where I was feeling a little fuzzy about the guard room. Not that the Spartans guards aren't good, but I'm looking at them in the half court. We start with a pick and roll under. We swing to the other side, pick and roll under. We toss it to a big. We go to a handoff under. And I'm just like, oh, (laughs) you can invert the offense and run things through the bigs. You get some good stuff out of it. There is a ceiling if teams just don't think you have like pull up threats. And so just kind of monitoring like how they counter that. If we see someone pop, like it was fun watching Lexi Brown get like some pick and roll reps and flow into pull ups from there. It's like, okay, she can shoot if that portion of the game expands for her. Like, I think that opens up a world of usage for her. And I think it'd be very important. But that's where I'm like, ah, let's let's see what it looks like. Let's see what it looks like. Um, I haven't watched this game in full yet, so I'm not going to go too deep uh, in terms of the Mercury and the Lynx. I just I'm just kind of confused by the Lynx's guard situation right now. 
<laughs> so we, we will, I'll just leave it there until I can like fully watch and give like informed thoughts. But I'm just I have the brow raised. We, we will see okay. what the rotation is going to be like from there. Uh, my last thought, uh, I'll save Ace's thoughts for like the next pod. Um, but my last thoughts, I just want the dream to like bottle what they do in the second half on offense. We now have two, it's only two games. We're very early in the season, but like it feels so much like one action. Oh no, what do we do? And then the second half hits and it's primary action, secondary action, flash from Cheyenne Parker. You play out of that ISO kick. And I'm just like, so you can flow through and cycle through multiple options on offense. You can use these pieces together. Also sign me up for aggressive Alicia Gray. That's fun. So you have these pieces, you have a level of versatility, find the flow, find the flow. The shots will fall or they won't, but like find the flow, watch the first, like just watch the, uh, the dream links game from earlier this week. Look at what Atlanta was doing offensively in their first half. Then look at what it looked like in the second half. And this is with like Ryan Howard missing a, a chunk of it in the second half. They can, they can do it. It's two straight games to where the defense, well, they just pop on both ends of the floor in the second half. They can't keep having these slow starts, especially as they face better talent um, as the schedule pops for them. I think they have, I, funny enough, I think they do have the fever on Sunday. And then they get the aces shortly after that. So <clears throat> we will see what that looks like. But just keeping an eye on the dream, like they, they have talent. They have a lot of things they can get to. I just want to see them bottle it. And I just, I'm curious to see what the chemistry building process is going to be like on that front. Um, also, Eric McDonald. Very fun. Um, yeah, that, that, I will leave it there. We're, we're keeping an eye on the dream. But very on brand for me, but we are keeping an eye on the dream. You are playing the hits. <sighs> well. Big time, big time. Mr. AVO, what's next? What's next is the mailbag. Thank you for those who sent in questions. And again, if you ever have basketball questions at any given time, you don't have to wait for the call out. You can email us at dunkerspot at yahoo.com. That is dunkerspot at yahoo.com. We will start with a long-term dunker, long-term listener, Anthony, asking us a question, uh, who says, first off, congratulations on the partnership with Wondery. Continued success, guys. Thank you. Just curious, as the how the league is covered conversation continues, how have each of you continued to evolve how you watch basketball, and what's one thing that each of you have added to your analysis toolbox that you might have not had a year or two ago? Additionally, regarding this season's playoffs, what's the most important takeaway from a league-wide standpoint that you both have? Take it away, the guys. Oh boy. Uh, well, first I'll say thank you again for the love, and again, Anthony has been—he's been rocking with us basically since day one. So really appreciate you, sir. Um, down since day one. Thank you. <laughs> That's a good shot. Um, beyond that, <clears throat> I think the basic answer for me is just like, okay, how can I become smarter slash more thorough about this stuff? And this is where like doing a podcast with Steve is very helpful. It's like, huh. I wouldn't have picked that out in the game. Let me start looking out for that stuff now. Like what the easiest example I can point to right now is it's very niche, but like on in the game plays doing enough watch parties with Steve and he immediately calls it, Hmm, that left corner is empty or that right corner is empty. Now, every time there's like a sideline play period, it's like, huh, that side is empty. I wonder what they're trying to open up or if they're going to use that at all. So like, that's like a little thing that I'm trying to, those are the kind of things I'm trying to incorporate now. Like for me, it's always been, okay, naturally who's starting like who's on the floor what are the matchups what's the primary scheme and then my brain just kind of goes from there for me it's been trying to get a little bit more granular with it and trying to figure out okay how are players spaced why are they spaced this way 
are they static when they're spaced or are they starting here and then they're reloc- relocating elsewhere? Are they trying to prioritize getting the ball handler to a certain side? If so, why? How are teams trying to take that away? I think the Sixers Celtics series was a big one for that in terms of just the space manipulation that went on in that series. So for me, it's just, it's, you know, it's basic answer zooming out, but like, it's really just trying to get a little bit deeper about the why of what teams are doing. And that's how, I think that's how I've, I'm trying to evolve at the very least. Um, and then I'll answer the, I'll let Steve go and then I'll answer the second part of the question. Oh, well, for me, it's just continue to find ways to answer questions, ask questions, but also deliver the information to people and just let them have it. So for me, it's just like whatever you do, X's and O's wise, analysis wise, it's in addition to everything else that's out there. So for me, it's like, okay, what are the, what are the real key takeaways from this game? Especially in the playoffs. What is this team doing well? What are they not doing well? And the more you do that, the more you understand, oh, this is why this is happening. You're able to tie more things together. So it's just locking in on that. I don't know. I'm an old person who doesn't learn new tricks. <laughs> oh, brother. I'm going to let you I'm gonna let you have that one. I'll slander you offline. It's fine. Um, as- Actually, before you go, I'll answer the second part real quick. Okay. To add into the analysis. I've added listening. I'm trying to listen a lot more just to other perspectives. I never want to be like the expert. Like, I'm just like, hey, here's what I'm seeing. If you see something different, let me know. That's the beauty of basketball. So just trying to have conversations and getting different perspectives and not saying, hey, no, it has to be this way. It doesn't. It's basketball. It's great. Huh. So there's that. There you go. Also, you, you are kind of the, if anyone can pull the export card, like you, you would be one of the people that can considering you, you, you quite literally did this. Uh, I'm a, I'm a dude. Uh, okay. Well, all right then. Uh, for me, <laughs> um, most important takeaway, and it's kind of going to bleed into the next question, so I don't want to hit it. I don't want to hammer it too hard, but like, I do think versatility is very important, which sounds like duh analysis, but with teams getting more, I don't want to phrase it. It feels like there are more ways for teams to take away players that can't counter stuff in playoff series. If you can only, if you can only shoot or if you can only drive or if you can only thrive in this type of defense, you are more in danger than you've ever been in this NBA. And so I do think players that can thrive in multiple contexts, like they feel even more important now. And I think we're seeing that again, I'll go back to the, I'll go back to the Boston Sixers series to where it's not like, Philly didn't try to do a whole bunch of things. It did just kind of come down to, okay, how many five-man combinations can we come to here to where we can thrive on both ends? Every adjustment we try to make with Boston, it may help this issue, but it's going to create another one because of who we're sliding into the rotation or who we're sliding into the lineup. And I do think having that kind of lineup flexibility and then just those players being able to thrive in multiple roles, I think it's even more important come playoff time than even I thought. And I always thought it was important. But I think... It feels like a light bulb is kind of going off for me in a bigger way this postseason. Now I'm with you. I think that one, teams are able to get back to playoff defenses or execute game plans, which is very interesting considering the defenses that we saw during the regular season. So that's been fun. I think scheme versatility, lineup versatility still is important. I don't want to go too heavy on on what you said, but can you have different lineups, different things you can do for different series? 
it's going to be very, very hard to be like, this is our one thing. We play this scheme or this is the base of our offense. Because now if that's taken away, do you lose all of who you are as a team? So that's kind of been fun to watch in the playoffs. Just teams trying to take each other away. It's been good stuff. It's been good stuff. You know, dig in, watch the games, have fun. Seems to be a pretty easy mantra to follow. Uh, next question going to come from Nico. Hello, Dunk Fathers. I don't know how I feel about that one. Uh, we, we will consult with the judges on that. But <clears throat> this postseason run, I've really been impressed with the impact of Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown on the Nuggets and began questioning the way we define or perceive role players when it comes to team building in the playoffs and in the offseason. Usually the tendency when building teams is getting 3 and D type of players, players like any of those Clipper wings. Do you think with the way Gordon and Brown contributed to the Nuggets, there will be a shift in the prioritization of role players, like 60 to 3 and D players and 40 to flex players, or a major shift in prioritizing role flexibility? Or if not a shift, I'd like to get your thoughts on the state of role players in the playoffs. Well, let's see if I can unpack this. Thank you for the question. I don't. I think it's, again, all about fit and opportunity. Like, I don't think you necessarily go out and say, hey, we're getting this because of defense and playmaking. You have to find the player that pops for your team. You know, and I think that's the dangerous part about, I don't want to say just role players, but especially when it comes to defense, you're assuming, hey, okay, the defense is coming over here. But hey, you might run a different scheme. You might have different players around them. There's different things that could could roll into it. I think everyone wants three and D because that's just the easiest thing to slide in, in theory. Hey, you guard and then hey, you space. We don't have to think about much. I think it's just identifying the type of players that fit what you're trying to do. And you saw it with like Josh Hart in New York. It really popped for a long time. But then it, it may go away. I think that's the part you gotta understand. Like Role players are going to have a big series and maybe have a quieter series. If you advance, they may come back just because every series is different. I think that Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown being able to contribute just really speaks to Denver. Like, look at the different ways that Bruce Brown's been used. You know, we've seen the evolution of his game. I'm a guard. I'm not a guard. I'm a big. I roll. Wait, I can shoot now. I also defend really hard. I am, hey, you can put me in actions. I can run pick and roll now. <laughs> Let's do some handoffs. Uh, so I think he fits that mold. Aaron Gordon fits exactly what they need. But I can't, I can't shake the impact part, like the fit and opportunity, because you may have the skill set, but it may not be in the right place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to that point, like, think about all the conversations that we've had about P.J. Tucker. From going from Milwaukee to Miami and what that looked like, and then going from Miami to Philly and what that looked like. And especially the regular season conversation we had with PJ. And it's like, huh, he may still have these skills. If this is the system and only this skill is planning to be utilized, then what does it mean for the overall impact? Like, what can you really unlock? And even to the Bruce Brown point, like we saw elements of this stuff in Brooklyn with him being used as a screener in particular. In Denver, <clears throat> because of the infrastructure he, he's entering in, he can, you can unlock the cuts more if you're playing off of Jokic. You can unlock some of the pick and roll stuff, depending on the lineups that you're in. And that combined with like his own personal growth is where you get Bruce Brown to pop. And like even with Bruce Brown serving as like a positive example, I remember coming to you, Steve, during the regular season. Like, huh? In Brooklyn, he was a he was a good defender. In Brooklyn, Brooklyn was switching everything, and he was just on ball all the time. In Denver, where you have Jokic at the level, or you have a big at the level, and now he's having to make weeks out rotations and stuff too. It's like, eh, 
I haven't loved the all ball stuff for him. Like I remember having that conversation with you. I had it with Zach Lowe and I was on this pod with most approved stuff. I was like, okay, this looks a little bit different. So to your point, you may, you have to make sure you know exactly what you're getting from role player in all aspects. The defense may pop in a switching heavy system in a way that it doesn't pop in a drop heavy system where you got to screen navigate all the time. Or again, Denver with a big at the level. Now you have to, you have to sink in. You got to pick up bigger players. Sometimes you got to make rotations at the rim. It's, it's different um, to like the heart of the question. I do think it's going to shift more to more towards like the role flexibility part. I don't know if we see the big shift like this off season or next off season, but I think league wide, like we're getting to the point where it's gone from, Hey, if you can't, if you can't shoot, it's going to be a problem in the playoffs. And it kind of transitions to, okay, well, if you can only shoot, then that's going to be a problem in the playoffs. Because now we can we can still find ways to help off. And now if you can't beat us, if you can't beat a closeout, and if you can't maintain an advantage in the playoffs, then what exactly are you doing? Exactly. I do think three and D players are always going to be important because you want that baseline level of spacing and that baseline level of defense. But I do think we are reaching the point, if not already, where, okay, it, you can't just shoot threes and just defend. How many schemes can you operate in defensively? It can't just be about how well you can guard yours. Because ultimately, depending on some of your lineups, it may not just be like a switch off. And you may have to do other things, defend different types of players. How can you hold up or just feel different roles defensively and offensively? Like you got to be able to put the ball on the floor, too. You have to be able to affect things beyond shooting as a role player. I feel like whether that's driving, whether that's screening, I do think players, you're going to have to become more diverse on both ends of the floor to really pop in the postseason. Unless you just have like mega stars that can alleviate some of it. And even then, like, <clears throat> I go back to the, like the Suns Nugget series to where you may only need your role players to do this one specific thing, but if they don't, it allows the, it allows the other team to kind of, to hunt those guys in a way or to help themselves by helping off of those guys. Who are you talking about? What do you mean? Who who did you just add? I didn't. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what wing you're talking about because those were some bars from whoever that was. <laughs> I, I don't know who sparked that. No bars. I'm just I'm just thinking through stuff. That, that is all. I, I I still think it's dependent. Like if you are someone who maybe cannot make threes, but your defense, both on a specific player and off ball, are key, you may still have some wiggle room. Like I don't want to just toss them over the top rope. Mm-hmm. Or if you're a shooter and you may not be knocking down all the shots, but the defense is still at least thinking about you or we can use you, your spacing for a quick beat, trying to open something up. I think there's still value. So I still think there's like in between value. Again, it's just about performance. Like the whole point of a game plan is to take something away. That's going to open something up for someone else and different series going to be different people. So for me, it's tough because you don't want to, you don't want to put someone in a box. Like, why do you think Dylan Brooks doesn't want to be called 3 and D? Yep. Is that a, it's like, oh, that's all you do, huh? It puts you in a box. Mm-hmm. So if the 3 turns into 2 and a half and the D <laughs> turns into a C, now everybody's like, what are you doing? It's like, dog, I, that's not just all I do. No, that is all you do. It's like, oh. <laughs> so we got to be careful about fully typecasting these players because different players may be able to have an impact in a different way. You know, we, each season we see a team, a, player get traded think of josh hart you think of larry nance you think of 
different ways that they were able to reinvigorate and look different somewhere else. We got to keep those little things in mind. There you go. Two and a half in C is killing me conceptually. <laughs> we have the name of the podcast. Okay. We will transition to the next question that we have. This is going to come from Isaiah. Uh, shifting to the W side for a little bit. Uh, I have been a diehard NBA fan ever since I had thoughts. Well, that's a bar. Anyways, I just wanted to know how to get started with the W. I pretty much just root for the Sky and the Sparks and Kelsey Plum and Sabrina Ionescu by default. I've been watching games, but I have zero knowledge of the context, the narratives, nor the history. I'm really looking forward to learning. Thank you. I would say, one, just keep watching. Keep watching. The, the league is strong enough and good enough from top to bottom to enjoy the basketball. And then I think as the more you watch, the more you'll start to pick things up on your own. And you might get, you know, let yourself get captivated by a different team or a different narrative, you know, kind of use it to create your own adventure to a degree. Mm -hmm. Don't go too crazy with it, but (laughs) look what your eyes may lead you towards. You know, do you like the aces ball movement? Do you like defense? It might be the mystics or the sun for you, but look at how hard they're working and what they open up and what they try and attack on both ends, the pace, the tempo, you'll find your way. So I would just say, keep watching and then kind of let it build from there. I was going to say, like, you are already doing the two most important things. Like, one, you're watching, and two, you're asking questions. And I think that's kind of where it starts. And <clears throat> I tried not to get too deep into, like, the NBA, W, like, cross compares and stuff like that, because I know that can just be a touchy subject in general. That I'm just trying to learn more about uh, the context and the feelings about that in general. But, like, one of the questions that I got earlier this week, as I made a tweet, like, hey, like, Basically, hey, watch the W if you if you are concerned about like the NBA, if the Heat close things out or whatever. One of my favorite questions I got was like, hey, I'm trying to get into the league. I'm a really big fan of Drew Holiday. Is there anyone that you would. Who reminds you of Drew or that will help me kind of get in? Because this is the type of player or the type of team that I'm looking to get into. And I'm just like, well, first person to come to mind for me is Natasha Cloud. So if you if you enjoy like Drew playing defense or just how Drew goes about his business, period. Like, that feels like the closest analog. And so, like, even if you are an NBA fan going into the W, like, especially if you're, if you're not being problematic about it, like, I think it's fine to try to find, okay, this is a style of basketball that I like watching, or this is my favorite team, and this is how we play, or this is my favorite player, and this is how he plays. I think it's fine to kind of use that as a springboard into, okay, this is how I'm going to become invested. So, like, I've told some of my W story on here where, like, I would watch and tapping with the playoffs or watching some random games. But then it wasn't really until, I think, three years ago to where I became a very consistent, I am watching every game. Like, that helped. <clears throat> like, it helped with, you know, the Aces drafting Asia. I already had the kind of background with her at South Carolina. It's like, okay, this is cool. Let's see what happens. Um, I, I recognize that it may be difficult for people to just jump into a different league without a favorite player or a favorite team. And not, you know, we love basketball, but not everyone loves basketball. We're like, okay, I'm just going to watch because I love hoop, and I'll see what pops people need just a level of attachment. And so think to whoever your player, favorite player or favorite team is and aim for like aim for an analog there. And that, that'll help you with at least the initial attachment. And I do think I'm with Steve, like the more you watch, I think you're just going to fall in love with the league. Honestly, Cause like, you know, the aces may have been like my jump off point to like seriously watching plus analyzing. But if you're watching the aces, it, it's a, they're facing 11 other teams. You're going to see, Kelsey Mitchell in Indiana. You're going to see the Mystics defense. You're going to see the Suns defense. You're going to see 
the Dream Youngin building. You're going to see the Liberty running all kinds of pick and rolls and Sabrina doing what she does. Like it's going to flow from there. Just find that attachment, stay consistent with it. And again, don't be afraid to ask questions. Find some W folks on Twitter if that's your app of preference. Feel, you know, figure out what, what type of coverage do you want? What brings you into basketball, period? If it's, just an, if it's just the X's and O's, or if it's primarily the X's and O's, find the people that are doing that. If you want to feel attached to a player's story, like find the people that are telling those stories, like fo- follow Ari Chambers. Like there are ways to get connected and really build your love and build your interest from there. But you're already doing the two most important things. You're watching already, you're asking questions. You keep doing that, I think you're going to be on the right path. Uh, we will now move to Tom. <clears throat> um, earlier this week, at the end of the Mercury Sky game on ESPN, they were mic'd up in the huddle during clutch time. As a fan of the game, I really enjoy the access to these big moments, but I wonder how the players and coaches might feel about it. I know they had many huddles mic'd up last year, but I can't recall too many during in-game situations. How are they able to do this with W games but not the NBA? I assume everyone is on board to help grow the league. I love any discussion about these mic'd up huddle moments in the W. Take it away, Nikaias. Ah, I see. I see. <laughs> Bring that. I know what you got in your back pocket. Bring it. What is that? <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. I think they've always tried to find little tweaks access-wise. Just little different things uh, that they can try for the W games. I like it. You can hear some play calls. You can hear some chatter. It's usually nothing bad. The only thing I'm a little concerned about is the interview with the coach at the start of the quarter. (laughs) Yes. Just because the more you see it, the more you can tell, oh, these coaches are literally coaching right now. (laughs) And they're about to, like, either yell at someone or make a sub, and they're holding back, and it's just funny to watch. Um... I don't I don't think we're ever going to get that in the NBA because of how protective they are with play calls and all that kind of stuff. Sorry, bud. Yeah, like I I in theory I love the access. I love just kind of hearing the sounds cuz like when you're like even if you're in the arena for like media stuff or whatever, if definitely if you're watching on TV, like you're just not getting that kind of access. So it's cool to get any kind of insight that you can. 
as to how coaches are communicating. Like for me, like I, I would love to hear a play call or two. Just like, okay, cool. This is what they try to go to in this situation. Foul in the memory bank, whatever. I'm with you, Steve. Like, I don't think we ever get that in the NBA. And I'm also with you. Why are we interviewing coaches like during play? I don't, I, I can't. That's, that's the one where I'm just like, okay, man. Like, if you want to talk to them at halftime, if you have like a pre-recorded interview before the game and you play it at the start of the second quarter, cool. Or if you talk to them during the commercial break and then you play that at the start of the quarter, cool. I, I don't need to hear you have a conversation with like Noel Quinn while plays happen and she's trying to communicate <laughs> things. And it's just because like at that point, you're not really getting what you want. Because at Steve's point, like you're absolutely holding back. You're not getting full fledged. Hey, what are you doing? Or run this, et cetera, et cetera. Like you might want to get in theory because she's cognizant of the earpiece in her ear and trying to get that situated. Make sure she can hear you while also hearing her assistance in the other ear. And also being keyed into the game. Like, it's just a level of multitasking. You're doing a disservice to everyone. You're not getting the stuff that you, and the access that you think you're getting that you want to get to begin with. And for the coaches, like, it just has to be uncomfortable. Like, I, I just, just time these out a little bit differently. Just add, just, we get a commercial, that first to second quarter commercial break. It's going to be two minutes of ads anyway. Like, get your, get your chat in. Do what you got to do. You go for it. It feels like they've been doing more player interviews, though, which I think is neat. Yeah, that's cool. And, like, even those player interviews are coming, like, post-quarter. Or, you know, end of the first quarter, end of the second quarter, whatever the case may be. Like, timing out that way, you may be able to get some good stuff because they actually have time to, like, at least pretend to talk to you before they go to the huddle or go back to the court. Like, you're trying to get that during play. Like, nah. These coaches trying to lock in on what they told the game, told these players the game plan was. Why is the weak side not peeled in? And like, you can't yell that on the broadcast. I mean, you can, but realistically, you're not getting that on the broadcast. So like, there are some tweaks. I do, I guess zooming out, I do appreciate the effort to bring that level of access and insight because I do think it's cool and I do think they should continue to find ways to do that and bring that to the fan. Just in terms of the effectiveness of some of the methods, I think we can be like, all right, I don't, I don't think this is it. I don't know if this is the way to go about it. Um, next question is going to come from Chase. Do you think WNBA expansion would be more successful if they created regional rivalries by adding the new teams close to existing teams or even multiple teams, uh, multiple teams in popular cities or expanding to regions that don't have WNBA teams nearby? Um, yes, question mark. <laughs> yes, question mark. I, I go to regions that don't have or at least are melting hot for it Mm -hmm. if that makes sense i think that's the most important part of expansion it's got to be somewhere that's going to be in it for the long haul to me at least Mm -hmm. what say you oh like again i like ideally you just get both like i think there are some cities like uh, la in particular i think there are cities where you can handle two w teams but i think i if you have to choose one or what i think would be more successful i do think it's finding the market that's untapped and just creating another Based from there, because again, like you put a you put a team in a city that doesn't already have a W team or doesn't have a basketball team, like you you engage that market, but you also engage other nearby markets. And so, especially if you you know you nail the TV rights, all that good stuff. So I think if you can just expand the reach, period, versus 
um, I guess like repopulating an area. I get the I get the interest in okay, well, I know this market works and we want expansion to work, so therefore we put it here. But I think if you're trying to maximize your reach and ultimately maximize your growth, it's finding those untapped markets and just kind of spreading the wealth from there. Um, next one to come from Neil. So I know the storm won't play the aces every game, but other than chanting Lark for Clark, Sink for Brink, Turn the Page, and Calling the Angels, are there younger players the storm should focus on? Can we get a good enough pick for Jewel Lloyd? I mean, if she wants to stay on this team, fine, <clears> but if she wants to win games or chase a ring, I would 100 1,000% understand. I would say just on the storm front, like one, no, you're not going to play the aces every game. Like every game is going to be like that. It's, it's not going to be, if that's your expectation, like you can breathe easy. Um, but I would say the players that you listed, if you're just looking at the college core that may be coming in next draft, like those are the ones you want to focus in on. Um, but I would also just be excited about some of the younger players that you have on your roster already. Like Jewel Lloyd doesn't count for this uh this portion of it but she is an all w level player she is very good you can have fun with her as long as she's there and like i i like jordan horston i like some of i like some of what we saw in that opening game against the aces he was fearless like that multiple ways to attack i think the defense is going to be fine like i there are there are reasons for optimism with the storm even if the wins themselves don't come this year I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> watch Horston, watch Ezzy. Uh, Gigantes intrigues me, but I don't, like, there's enough there. It's, it's, it's going to be a fun year to explore. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> you know, fo- we're following the reporting on it, but you may get Gabby Williams back relatively soon. So that would also add a level of playmaking, a level of driving, and an absurd level of defense to that wing room. So, again, don't. Don't don't fall out of favor over that opening aces loss. Like that's just that's just tough way to open your season in terms of scheduling. You should be okay. Um, and then we have some questions from Mike to close things out. Hi, Nikaias and Steve. Hope you're doing well. Number one, as you've highlighted a couple of times, the Mystics have had some offensive struggles. Shakira Austin is my favorite player, and I was curious what you think she could do better to alleviate those struggles. Well, I actually think she's doing a pretty good job. Uh, when she is spaced in different areas, whether it's the corner, at the elbow, flashing and diving. If it's a pick and roll or a post up, finding the open gaps. I think more aggressive as far as if there's a pop driving a close out or if there's a, a switch ceiling uh, and going to the post. So I, I think she's grown in the areas she needs to. Uh, what say you guys? Uh, I'm right there with you. Like, I think just her being more of a connective piece and being able to maintain those advantages by herself have been very important. Like the self-creation flashes are really, really fun for Shakira. And I think if we're going like three to five year plan, I am curious to see like where her jumper lands. But beyond that, her just making quicker decisions with the ball and showcasing a level of aggression that we saw some overseas. We saw a little bit of during her rookie season. But like it, it feels like it's really starting to be more consistent on that front. Like she is not afraid to take bigs off the bounce. She's not afraid to post up smaller players. And if she can go from pick and roll slash handoff hub to someone that can also like fake a handoff, get downhill, or play breaks down, I'll flash to the free throw line. I will take the jumper or I will drive to the basket. That's very important growth for her. And I think just her being her being treated as a legit threat, I think will open up some stuff. Because some of the issue last year, as she was more so play finisher, was that okay, if she's based in the dunker spot, we can just cramp the we can just clamp the floor. 
we trust that we can send, you know, preload our help, get back to her and contest the force or the finish over the top. If she's better in that area, but also, okay, I will move around and I can also be a scoring threat as opposed to just I'll move around and just act as the next handoff hub. It gets a little bit different. And so I think that's I think she's already doing the things to Steve point. I think she's already kind of doing the things you want her to see. And I'm excited to watch her grow. Uh, we will be, I guess, Washington adjacent on this next question. Uh, Rui Hachimura had a pretty good playoffs with the Lakers with a better showing than he normally had with the Wizards. What do you think the Lakers did to help him achieve that? Or is it just that he's no longer a wizard, so he's good again? Oh, wow. Oh, no. <laughs> As our resident pump fake enthusiast, I will let you take that one first. Wait, a resident <laughs> pump fake enthusiast? You just told me. Never mind. That's fine. Go ahead. Big wins. Big wins, the guys. Um, I, for me, I think it was a better fit for him, but also an easier infrastructure to buy into. It's a little di- like I don't want to pull the vet leadership card, but it's a little different when, hey, this is your job. Here's LeBron encouraging you to do your job. It's a little bit easier to get some of that buy in. I think they gave him the wiggle room offensively to post up, to take threes if he was open, gave him the freedom to get to his fadeaway. Boy, so I think the trust that they gave him offensively, even if it wasn't a massive role, combined with the fit and, hey, we need you to do this, you got the defense from him as well. So I think he just played with the overall more purpose, more buy-in, better structure, better fit. Yeah, I, I lean on the, the latter two portions of what you said, Steve. Better structure, better fit. I think it helps that he knew I am getting 20 plus minutes a night and I'm going to be tasked with doing these things. I'm only getting X amount of touches, but I do have freedom within those touches to do what I do. I am going to be guarded by teams, third, fourth or fifth best players. I will be able to space and knock down shots or I'll be able to attack if they're smaller players. And I will play defense. As opposed to the Wizards, where to be fair, like we saw elements of all of this stuff um, in, in his last season with Washington. Like we saw some of the defense on switches. We did see some of the shooting. We saw the post up. Like we've seen the post ups and the fades throughout his time there. Like whether they fall or not is a different thing, but like we've seen that. But like there's so much congestion in the front court and in terms of like the lineups themselves, it just kind of get weird to find your place within all of that. And, you know, as we talked about the Wizards, like my biggest frustration is like, okay, what exactly is the path? Who are you prioritizing? What are you prioritizing? How do you maximize who you're prioritizing? And I think with the Lakers, it was very clear. Hey, you are our four. You are our backup four. This is what we need from you. Do your thing. And just that level of clarity allowed him to just kind of flow into whatever he could tap into. And it was good play when he, uh, when he joined the Lakers. So. I think just having that role clarity and that consistency was going to be was huge for him. Last question. <clears throat> My fiance and I are struggling to come up with a new last name and are polling everyone. Which last name do you think is better? I think this is Wizo or Belliver. Did you consult with the judges on the pronunciation before you? Yeah. <laughs> I tr- <laughs> I did my best. So I will offer an early apology. Uh, an early apology. <laughs> I'm going with I, the second one. Ah, I see. Well, this is where we're the dunker spot. Cause I kind of would have went with the first one, but uh, so we are sorry that we were not able to help. <laughs> we are <laughs> a split. You love to see. You, it. you love to see it. I, I do appreciate uh, asking for our opinions on this. Though. Level of trust uh, at, from from a dunker. So thank you. 
Uh, we hope you are able to sort through the last name. We uh, actually, we need an update when the last name is chosen. So send in another email when the decision is made. Uh, but it would appear that we are split here at Dunker Spot. Uh, Steve, do you have free throws? I don't. Do you? Uh, I have. I have a handful of them to close things out. Just wanted to make sure. Oh wait, define define a handful. I have four. Four? Yeah, I have four. So again, not quite a handful. Almost a handful. 80% of a handful. Okay. I'm ready for him. But uh, I, I can knock him out. Um, number one, uh, do you have a Mount Rushmore of bust? And if so, who's on it? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't have a Mount Rushmore. <laughs> one. I do, no, I don't want to do that. Forget them stones. And two, no, I'm not celebrating people whose careers came up short. No, thank you. No, get that out of here. It was a very good, very good answer because my second question was going to be, why do we still use Mount Rushmore in sports talk considering waves arms wildly? <laughs> I don't know, man. Okay, uh, next question I have for you. Um, based on our NBA conversations, how annoyed are you going to be by Jackie Young most improved player talk? I'm going to be very annoyed because she did it last <laughs> year. That was the year that she did it. Then why are we now handing her? No, no, thank you. No, no. But if she no. takes another leap, you see. No, okay. <laughs> don't you dare. Don't you, don't you dare, buddy. Don't you do it. I, I'm just saying. I mean, if this turns into all W slash all defense and she averaging 20. And she, hey, man. I, just keep your eye on it. Uh, last question I have. For I don't know. No, no. I'll, I'll remember that when some discourse comes that you don't like. <laughs> don't you worry, Bucko. I will remember that. Okay. Uh, last question I have for you. Uh, better point guard situation, the Lynx or the Rockets? Ooh. Give it to me one more time. Uh, better point guard situation right now, the Lynx or the Rockets? I think it has to be the Rockets by default. How many point guards do the Lynx have? Uh, it's like two and a half. Two and a half. And it just got one back. Welcome back, Lindsay Allen. But also, I guess, by Rachel Branham's minutes after starting the open. I don't. What's happening exactly? Because, like, I don't know. Like, Ariel Powers had, like, that second half last year. And it's like, actually, you're just going to come off the bench. Actually, you're just not going to play. And then, actually, hey, here are these minutes and get these buckets. And I'm just like, I don't. Are we... I think you asked this during the watch party. Are we just going to get, like, the random release from the links where, like, four players are just out of there? I'm probably, like, three or four days away. I'm going to hit the reset button real quick. I'm just I'm just confused at what's happening with the uh, with the rotation there. Shout out Diamond Miller though. Her drives have been hitting already. That that's been fun. <clears throat> but yeah, we'll see. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dunker Spot. If you have not already, please subscribe to us. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. You can follow me on Twitter at NakaiasNBA. You can follow Steve on Twitter at Steve Jones20. Join the Dunker Spot community on Twitter if you haven't already. We are having fun in there. Join us for our Dunker Spot online watch parties. We're watching W games. We're watching playoff games. We're doing some rewatches the day after. We're having a lot of fun in there. So the link should be in the description. If it's hyperlinked, just click on that. Enter your information. It is free. No shenanigans. If not, 
then just copy and paste the link to your browser, sign up. Again, it is free. No shenanigans. Come have some fun with us. Plenty of analysis, some antics. We're bouncing around all over the place in those watch parties, so come have fun with us. Subscribe to JJ Reddit's YouTube channel if you haven't already. This episode won't be on YouTube, but the last one was. The next one will be, and I would imagine the next episode is going to be a finals preview. Um, either the Heat take care of business on Saturday or the Game 7 happens, I think, what, on Monday? Which means we'll be recording on Tuesday. So either way, I think the next episode is going to be our NBA Finals preview. So tap in for that. Subscribe to JJ Reddy's YouTube channel to check that out if you are more of a visual uh, enjoyer of our basketball content. And with that, we will catch y'all next week. How is Victor that much taller than Kyle Kuzma? Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Dunker Spot ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus